Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Down Podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of geopolitical and domestic developments currently in focus. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be back with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Shane, perhaps we could begin our conversation today as we did when we spoke last Tuesday on the topic of Afghanistan. A lot has taken place over the course of a bit over a week at this point, including today with the fatal attack we've been hearing about at the Kabul airport. I know it's very fluid at the moment, but if you reflect back just on this week, I know President Biden, he met with G7 leaders on the ongoing operation, the strategy. We heard about a CIA meeting with Taliban leadership. So, a lot's happening here. Can you bring us up to speed maybe on the evacuation efforts? And curious as well, what might come next after that August 31st deadline next Tuesday in terms of U.S. and NATO presence in the country? Yeah, this uh, situation is uh, extremely fluid. And as you noted, you know, uh, this uh, blast at the Kabul airport, uh, the latest report is that there are 12 uh, dead American servicemen. So it's uh, quite a tragedy. And terrible news. Um, you know, the start with the G7, uh, try to uh, persuade uh, President Biden to keep forces uh, in, at the Kabul airport longer than the August 31st deadline to keep evacuations going. You know, many of our allies followed uh, us into Afghanistan in the days after 9-11. And I think a lot of them are faced with uh, some of the hardships that we're going through is trying to make sure we get uh, any Americans uh, in Afghanistan out, but also allies who, um, you know, uh, have families uh, themselves and are trying to get them out. Um, and uh, individuals with uh, SIVs, the special immigrant visas, um, and trying to really save lives and prevent a, a tragedy from happening. So, you know, and in these efforts, you're, you're correct to point out that the CIA director went to Kabul uh, to meet with uh, the Taliban to try and uh, really get a sense of uh, kind of a temperature check of the Taliban and how they would view American forces still being in the country after uh, August 31st. And, you know, the Taliban is is really staying strong that they don't want any American forces in uh, Afghanistan after the 31st. They don't want uh, Af- Afghanis fleeing the country. Um, this is a, a very tough predicament we're in. And I think, you know, right now, uh, President Biden is staying strong on that August 31st deadline. And I think that's also to try and lend some urgency. Uh, and, you know, if uh, Americans are still there after August 31st, as we've seen in the in the past few days. The CIA and our special forces are are trying to work under the cover of dark to get everyone out. That may still be the case in September. Um, you know, as for what happens to Afghanistan as a country after we've left, and you know, media has left as well. Um, that is uh, probably going to be a, a, a troubling sight to see. You know, with uh, um, executions of, of, you know, those who are deemed to have been working with uh, the U.S. and other allies and, and beatings for, you know, women uh, who have education, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's, um, 
it's not a bright future for Afghanistan. Remains a very difficult situation. I know we're receiving information almost hour by hour. It seems like I have the Pentagon press briefing on behind me. But Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on where we stand today. I'm sure a lot more will happen here between now and next Tuesday. So I'm sure we'll follow up on this uh, during our next conversation. Another topic I wanted to bring up, we've been tracking these developments in Afghanistan, though. Another headline, to point out Vice President Kamala Harris embarked on a trip to Southeast Asia. What's the purpose of this particular trip, Shane? Uh, Any notable highlights on the agenda and maybe some takeaways in terms of uh, what we've seen thus far? Yeah, no, this trip got off to a very auspicious start, you know, with um, a reported uh, health incident in there, and it's believed to be Havana syndrome that has been uh, plaguing U.S. uh, diplomats across the world. Um, which is suspected to be attacks, you know, on our tax, on our diplomats and affecting their health. So that stalled her visit a little. Um, you know, she did arrive eventually. And, you know, the vice president was there um, for, a, uh, you know, a, a bigger issue than just Vietnam. It's really a regional issue about uh, security um, and in the prism of, you know, China and China's territorial claims in the region and the South China Sea. Um, also, topics included, you know, supply chain issues uh, like the global chip production, which is going to become, it is a big issue, and it's probably only going to get bigger in, in the coming years ahead. Uh, additionally, you know, COVID-19 was an issue under uh, a discussion, and, you know, um, China, of course, tried to undercut Vice President Harris' visit by, uh, announcing that they would donate, uh, I think, a million doses of uh, vac- vaccines to uh, Vietnam. So, you know, China is, is wise to uh, the purpose of this trip and is trying to undercut Vice President uh, Harris's message of, you know, uh, being an ally not only to, to Vietnam, but, you know, a better ally to the region than China. So, you know, this um, has wider implications and, um, I think you'll see continued efforts from the Biden administration um, in this sort of manner um, against China, where they're trying to, you know, essentially uh, be a regional player and form those alliances with other countries that, um, you know, if they're not on China's side today, we want to you know, prevent them from being, you know, uh, China's puppet. Well, thank you, Shane, for those highlights. Uh, no shortage of topics on the geopolitical front. Maybe we can come back stateside for a few moments. I know in prior conversations, we've spoken about cybersecurity, which we know, of course, is a growing, ongoing national security concern. Uh, yesterday at the White House, President Biden held a summit and he hosted leaders from the tech industry, leaders of critical infrastructure here in the U.S. Who exactly Shane attended the summit, and what were some highlights from the summit? Yeah, no, you're, you're right to start off by pointing out this is something we've talked about in the past because I think as we did in the past, say this is an issue that's not going away. This is, you know, really one of the future issues uh, for uh, the U.S. and the world to deal with, and not just in the coming years, but decades to come. This is hugely important to national security, but also. You know, uh, our security as individuals and, um, you know, uh, it's critically important to companies, too. And that's why you saw some of these major companies um, like Google, IBM, uh, Microsoft uh, in attendance of this summit at the White House. 
Um, and, you know, I think uh, if you look at these companies and what they spend on cybersecurity, it's staggering. I mean, it's, it's in it's tens of billions of dollars a year. Um, and, you know, it really reminds us that uh, our country and these private companies are under constant cyber attack. You know, it's not like uh, these cyber attacks happen occasionally. They're happening every day. Um, so, you know, I think this is uh, a good uh, uh, kind of starting point for the Biden administration and the signaling how serious they take this is important. And, you know, I think getting these companies together that are in the tech space just really start trying to um, work across, you know, companies and the U.S. government to really come up uh, with a better cyber security strategy is paramount to our future. So, you know, you know, nothing was, you know, truly solved yesterday, but I think it's it is a proper starting point for the challenges we have ahead. At a minimum, it's encouraging that dialogue, collaboration between the government and private sector is occurring here. As you pointed out, cybersecurity remains an ongoing threat, not going anywhere. So it's encouraging that these uh, meetings of the minds are taking place. Maybe to end our conversation for this week, Shane, we can take a trip up to Capitol Hill. I know this week uh, there was a, a legislative win, so to speak. The House Democrats did clear the way for both the budget resolution as well as the infrastructure plan. So what comes next? Yeah, so what comes? it's a great question. So the House passed the budget resolution, and then they passed a rule that allows them to uh, vote on the infrastructure plan. You know, uh, the rule is very procedural. It's uh, typically bigger bills, you know, need a rule. So this was, you know, kind of that was a procedural uh, step for both, but important and noteworthy. Um, for the budget resolution, it sets up the budget reconciliation process, um, which is that process that allows a major piece of legislation to pass the Senate with a simple majority vote. So this is uh, critical to the potential of the, that three up to $3.5 trillion spending package uh, that could include some tax increases to help pay for it. Um, so we're talking about you know everything from climate change to um, potentially changes to Medicare, um, things like uh, universal pre-K. So this is going to be a large plan. So this budget resolution starts to set up the time frame. I would expect that right after around Labor Day, we will actually see uh, draft legislation. And then the dozen or so House committees with jurisdiction will mark up their respective pieces of the bill. Uh, from there, it will go to the budget committee, which will package all those uh, bills together. And then, you know, tentatively by the end of September, the House could vote on uh, this uh, reconciliation package. Um, and then also at the same time, uh, at the end of September, uh, we expect a vote on this bipartisan infrastructure plan. Now, the outcome of these two products is still very fluid. Neither is it slammed up to happen. Um and so that what happens over the next, the coming weeks is going to be very critical, important uh, to its uh, future. Uh, and of course, the Senate is going to get involved in this process too, and and you know may make changes to the reconciliation package. Now, keep in mind the Senate already passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So if the House does pass that at the end of September and makes no changes to it, it'll immediately go to the president's desk. So. It's going to be a quite a 
um, uh, fast-paced September here in D.C., and we need to all be attuned to what's going on. Yeah, it sounds like a lot can happen in the course of a month. Uh, So, Shane, thank you for walking us through that timeline. That clarity is helpful. Uh, Maybe as a follow-up in the way of tax implications, uh, our colleague Justin Waring, very timely, released a blog from the Chief Investment Office, which, by the way, for our clients, it's available on UBS.com forward slash CIO. But the blog, it talks about, Shane, capital gains taxes, how they may go higher in the next few days, questions whether you should lock in the current rate, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the tax implications at play here? Yeah, I would expect uh, there'll be uh, many provisions to this tax bill. But uh, to your point, the most immediate um, tax uh, provision that could go into effect is cap gains. Now, President Biden's proposal from earlier this year sets an effective date for his capital gains tax to uh, as uh, April 28th. So, Theoretically, we could be living in this world where you could uh, be realizing gains today, not at the uh, current effective rate of 20 percent, but at this this much higher rate that the Biden administration is proposing. Now, we think that um, it won't be as high as President Biden is proposing, which he wants to uh, um, increase to normal income tax rates. Um, but we think uh, House and Senate Democrats, specifically the moderates, will push back on that. And we're really looking at something more like a 25 to 28 percent uh, rate on cap gains. But to the core of your question, you know, will it be effective April 28th like the president has uh, proposed? And we don't think so. We think uh, that Democrats uh, will push back on that and move the effective date to when this bill is released which will probably be, like I said, around uh, Labor Day. So theoretically, we could be operating in a world today where uh, we're in the last few days where you can realize a cap gain at at, uh, 20%. Um, You know, so we are just trying to raise awareness about that. And then to your point, the CIO's piece put out, uh, the CIO's office put out a great piece about trying to think through of, you know, is it worth realizing that gain at 20% uh, today? Or, you know, is this a long-term investment where it makes sense to actually keep holding it? Um, so there are a lot of uh, kind of angles to this cap gains question. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing is written in stone. This could ch- it could change, you know, not only the rate, but the effective date and the threshold of who it actually applies to. So this is very fluid. Um, but we, we think it's extremely important to uh, raise awareness to, to know that the most likely scenario is that um, the effective date will be uh, in the coming days when the bill is released. Yeah, I know this is an important factor for our listeners, our clients. So, Shane, thank you for the insights there. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the coming weeks. We'll uh, keep tabs on it very closely, though. Shane, thank you for dropping by, as always, providing the insights you did across a wide range of topics. And we'll keep in touch. We'll look forward to picking back up with the conversation again soon. Great. It was great to catch up with you, Dan. Take care and talk to you soon. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located on UBS.com 
forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Ben Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.